the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow. It's your host. I'm your host, and it's great to be with you today. We are here at hour number two of SoCal Live. The number is 888-528-2557. If you would like to join the conversation, 888-LA-TALKS, 888-528-2557. You can also email the show. You can email me right now at SoCalLive at KKLA.com, SoCalLive at KKLA.com. Good to be with you today, and uh, there are a lot of different things happening in our world today. And, of course, the big news in our country is the Supreme Court leak of information. I would, I'm just kind of shocked that that actually happened. I said in the first hour that I was yesterday, it just so happened that in the morning I was getting a lot of things ready as I'm preparing some stories and ideas for what I expected to happen in June, that the Supremes would overturn Roe versus Wade. And I wanted to be ready on some things like that. And then all of a sudden, we still don't know that they've done that. And I think that uh, there's a lot of reasons that people are speculating about why somebody might have leaked this report. Are you aware of it? Maybe you haven't turned on the news or anything today, but the yesterday, right after this program, the an early draft, the February draft of the Supreme Court decision regarding the Mississippi case that uh, Mississippi banned abortions after 15 weeks. But in that case, many, many court observers have believed that uh, the court would overturn Roe versus Wade. And the reason isn't really a a moral opinion about abortion necessarily, at least in the legal sense. It has more to do with who should make the decision, where, you know, how should abortion laws be regulated? Should they be done by the federal government, by the courts, or should they be done by each state? And many people on the court probably are going to decide that the Constitution, in in particular the 9th, 10th, and 14th Amendment would suggest that these are decisions that have to be made by states and that each individual state will have different rules. And that's something that I believe we're going to see uh, happen. I think that most likely whenever the Supreme Court puts out their official ruling, then this will stand. It might be very different than what's being read and written. So don't take anything um, as actual decision at this point. The Supreme Court did acknowledge that this really was a copy of a draft written by Justice Alito. And in that draft, it suggests that this is the majority view, that Roe versus Wade will be overturned. Uh, how are you feeling about this? What are your thoughts? What are some things that you think the church ought to be doing right now as we consider a, a post-Roe world? 888-528-2557 is the number, 888-528-2557. And in particular, being in California where this isn't going to change. You know, one of the things I think that is is interesting is how do people feel about this subject? And maybe this gets into polling data in general. Um, you know, when they take a poll about any issue, one of the things that happens is the type of question you ask can actually impact the answers uh, pretty significant. Listen to uh, this clip of Elizabeth Warren, Senator Elizabeth Warren, 
in her response to what came out yesterday. Can you play clip number two? Look, I've been on uh, the record for a very long time that we need to get rid of the filibuster, and Roe is just exhibit A for the reason for that. The latest data suggests that about 69% of Americans, and that's Americans everywhere, not just Democrats, 69% of Americans, red states and blue states, young people, old people, want to see Roe preserved as the law of the land. When 69% of Americans in a democracy want to see something happen, you'd think we'd be able at least to get a vote on the floor of the Senate on that question. But the filibuster prevents us from doing that. It's an interesting thing that she quotes there. She quoted, what, 69% of uh, people don't want to see Roe overturned. Now, here's the thing that is pretty fascinating. The Washington Post had a similar question, and they came up with uh, 54% of Americans do not want to see Roe overturned, 28% do, and 18% have no opinion. Is it really true that 18% have no opinion? Or is it just true that they don't want to talk about it? These are the people, you know, remember USA Today? I don't know if they still do this or even if it's still a newspaper, but USA Today, back in the old days when they used to have these, they had these these reader polls. And if you're around long enough, they used to have these 900 numbers. And if you had a 900 number, an 800 number, you know, or 888 like our number, it's toll free. You don't pay anything. But a 900 number, you knew that if you're going to call 1-900-something, there was some kind of fee attached to that phone call that you would pay. And so it used to be that you would pay 50 cents or a dollar to call this 900 number to answer the poll at USA Today. Do you think Roe versus Wade should be overturned? And people would spend money to say, yes, I believe it should be, or no, I don't think it should be. And then there was always this other category of, I don't know. And it always amazed me that there would be, you know, eight or 9% of people who spent a dollar to call up and say, I have no idea what I think about this. I'm going to give you a dollar to say, I just have no idea. This is a funny thing. Anyway, so 18% say no opinion. I bet they have an opinion. But that poll says, no, the vast majority of Americans say don't reverse Roe versus Wade. Um, and when you ask the a similar poll, you know, uh, should it remain, should abortion remain legal? Uh, 58% to 37% in that poll says it should stay legal. Now, when you change the question, when you say, should abortion be legal in any circumstance, the numbers change. Yes, 48, no, from Gallup poll, 32, don't know, 19% aren't going to say what they think. You must have some opinion. When Gallup asks, are you pro-life or pro-choice, that number went down to 49-47, almost an equal split in the United States. And when they really broke it down and they asked, should it be legal in any circumstance, some circumstance, or illegal altogether, or I don't know, here's the number. It should be legal in all circumstances, 32% of Americans said so. It should be legal in some circumstances, 48% said so. Illegal altogether, 19% said so. And then only two people said they don't have opinion. See how the way that polls work is that when you break it down a little bit, you know, almost half of people in that poll said there should be some restrictions on abortion, which incidentally is what's going to happen, is that many states will have some restrictions on abortions, not like Cal- not California, but many states will have some restrictions. And what I think is interesting is that the heart of where people really are, that is how the laws are going to break down, at least nationally. And what I want to get at with that is that the position of people's hearts ultimately will play out in the laws of that nation. Can I say that again? What people actually believe in their heart 
what people actually hold to, the values that they hold on to. The laws are going to reflect that value ultimately because ultimately those values will determine who you vote for. It will determine what those people are going to do. It will even determine what court cases come to court and how courts are going to decide. It's um, something I think we need to think about in the church because hearts matter. What we are likely to see is the end of a national argument about abortion. Not necessarily. There's going to be some things the government tries to do, the federal government, some other things, but and so that's possible. But where is it in our hearts? What do we really think? And see, when we deal with issues like this, it becomes very personal, doesn't it? It becomes very much about who we are, what we really believe, what's our relationship with each other. You want to join in this conversation? Tell me what you think. 888 I think 888-528-2557. This is Southern California Live. 888-528-2557. Let's go to Cynthia in Torrance. Cynthia, welcome to Southern California Live. Hi, thank you. I liked what you said about reframing the question and also about hearts because I was thinking about how one of the most compelling things for me and I think for a lot of Christians is that the abortion is painful, and the baby suffers, and it's violent. And I think what we need to do going forward is really change the narrative and ban all abortions until they're done humanely. Because at least for a while, you know, that's a process to get every state to ban abortions. But once a baby feels pain, it really shouldn't be an issue. And I don't know what they could do to make an abortion more humane, but I do know that personally I'm opposed to any kind of violent um, methods. Would you say, is your opinion that abortion would be okay if you could guarantee that the child doesn't feel pain? No. I think all abortion is not okay, but it's especially... Hmm not okay after the baby feels pain. And I think that people are not really thinking about how painful and violent an abortion is. I think that uh, you're right. I think that has been a lot of people's thoughts. But I think that another direction where this is going is that abortion pills, do, do the abortion at home, is probably the next thing where the federal government will likely, through the FDA, approve pills that already are made that uh, you can have abortion at home. And um, the idea would be it'll put the baby to sleep, probably painless, I would suppose. Um, What do you think we should do after that? I think that may become the normal thing eventually, as far as this is concerned. Does that change your your thoughts or our approach? Our way through that. I think the guidance of the Holy Spirit might tell us what to do. Given those circumstances, I, right now the circumstances that we're in are so brutal and ugly. I mean, even doing abortions after the baby's out of the womb. Um, I think there are a lot of states that have pretty radical views on uh, aborting the baby 28 days after it's born and all these other things. So I think we could save a good number of infant lives if we started really making an issue of how painful this is. And I, I think that we also need to figure out what we're going to do once it moves to a pill. Yeah, I think that uh, I think it all comes back down to, and I appreciate your thoughts on that, Cynthia. Thank you for calling us up. 
and uh, and sharing. You know, it's going to come down to our thoughts about what life is. And that is one of the, that it comes back to this core issue, is who we are as human beings. And I say a lot on this program, if you want to get to the core of where we're struggling as a nation, and even where we're struggling in church for a lot of different things, it's because we are eliminating Genesis 1 through 3 in a practical sense in our world. See, if you if you decide that there's no creator, not if you disagree on how he might have created, but if you just decide there is no creator, well, then, you know, what authority is there other than the state? And then suddenly you have the state. Um, what if, uh, if you get rid of Genesis 1 through 3, then you don't have any need for male and female, that God created the male and female in his image, and then there's no gender that's necessarily true. And isn't that one of the things that we're doing? Although I would point out something very interesting about this. In uh, one day, the Supreme Court uh, did manage to uh, change the uh, gender discussion. We finally have decided in the last day or two that uh, we're worried about the loss of rights for women or loss of reproductive rights for women. And what uh, is interesting is that we've apparently rejected the notion that men can have babies or abortions. That went out the window yesterday with this uh, decision. Um, you know, I, I did hear one person say that they're concerned about the rights of pregnant people. Um, but, uh, no, it seems like for the most part, we've decided that we do in fact know what a woman is. And we do in fact understand that there are men and there are women and they have some different, uh, issues there, uh, going on. See that whole issue in the gender thing. If you get rid of Genesis one through three, then you can believe anything you want about gender. If you get rid of Genesis 1 through 3, then you also don't have the fall. You also don't have sin. You don't have a, a need for justice. You don't have a need for, um, you know, cosmic justice, meaning the payment for the sin, the guilt that human beings of all culture have carried around. See, it changes things quite a bit. And then what happens is, is if you don't have Genesis 1 through 3, well, then it doesn't really matter at the end of the day if you take the life of your unborn baby or baby that's already been born, you know, what is the value here? Where does the value question come into it? Well, if there's no God, if there's no creator, then we're just biologics. And then whatever pleasure, whatever odds we have of a good life, whatever it is that makes us more comfortable or makes us more wealthy or makes us, you know, whatever it is that the value, we can just go ahead and do that. And it doesn't matter. That is one of the things that I think maybe even as the church, maybe we don't understand that. Maybe from a theological standpoint, we do not understand how vitally important those three chapters are to the Bible. They matter, and not just to the Bible, but to world history, to who we are as human beings. Because this is the issue, my friends, with this. The issue is no longer the unborn child is not a baby. The issue is no longer that the unborn child is not human or does not, you know, we, we know scientifically that the unborn child has completely different DNA from the mother or the father, that it is an individual from every scientific standpoint. We know this. This is not in debate any longer. We know that it is not just a clump of cells, that there is a child there with a heartbeat and with uh, hands and arms and toes. And we accept this generally, right? The reason there's this amazing, uh, you know, right now gender reveal parties are all the rage, right? And how do you outdo one another? You know, it kind of toned down when that couple in San Bernardino started that fire with their gender reveal party. You know, when you're shooting off rockets in your backyard just to find out if it's a boy or a girl, you know, maybe you've gone too far. But the interesting thing about that is that 
when we've decided we're going to keep the baby, the baby has a gender, the baby has a name, the baby has a bedroom, the baby has all kinds of value, um, and we don't argue that it's not a human being. We talk to the baby. We've named the baby. We love the baby. We play music for the baby. We care about male or female. It, it's, it is where humans really are, and it's completely bizarre that we would suddenly say that none of that actually, none of that actually matters. There's a lot in Scripture that talks about the value of a human being from the time of, of uh, from the time when the baby's in the womb, and the Bible doesn't really talk about abortion specifically uh, and the practice of that, but it does talk about who we are uh, in the womb. Uh, Jeremiah one chapter four. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, "Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and I knew you before you were born. I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations." Isaiah 49, the Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother, he named my name. And we see all kinds of things. You know, I'm, I had an experience, I'll tell you a couple of experiences I had with my son, James. When we went to the first ultrasound, it wasn't the first one, it was one, yeah, it was the very first ultrasound. I didn't expect really to see anything. Um, and I guess I should have, it just didn't occur to me. And I don't know, this was, he was five or six weeks old. And uh, I remember seeing the ultrasound and seeing a fully formed baby, obviously very tiny, but it was very clear there was an arm and legs, arms and legs and a head and a body. And the thing to me that I didn't expect to to see or hear that day was the heartbeat. And it was powerful. It was loud. And I was emotionally moved. You know, this is my son. We didn't know it was a son at the time. This is my child. Um. And I left there maybe for the first time really kind of angered about the evils of abortion. And I know about it philosophically, and I have worked with in pregnancy uh, counseling clinics to uh, help women, and I've been through that process with lots of people, and I've counseled people who've had abortions and who uh, are considering abortion, all of the, the stuff, but this was very personal, right? It's my kid. And I just remember the feeling of obviously this is a human being, somebody different. And then later on in another ultrasound, and I'm not saying anything profound or spiritual here. I'm just saying something that we watched on the screen and the nurse doing the ultrasound, she saw this. James jumped in the womb, boom, jumping up and down like he's on a trampoline. And I thought, you know, in the scriptures, that's what happened to John the Baptist. Now, listen carefully. I'm not saying that my son is John the Baptist or in any way anointed by God in some special way prophetically. Not saying that. I'm just saying that I got to actually see my son James, that I don't know how many weeks he was, jump inside the womb. And he was very active that day. And it was impossible to not think of the passage uh, from Scripture that says that when John, John the Baptist, heard about Jesus, he jumped, he leapt in the womb. And that there is an idea of the Bible. In in Luke, it says, When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And she exclaimed, When the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Yeah, I saw that. I got to see that. Once again, just making it clear, Scott is not saying that his son is some John the Baptist or anything like that. Please do not go there. I suspect that babies jump around a lot in in the womb there. If you're a mom, you can tell me about that. You know, at one point, Christy was thinking that uh, one of our kids was swinging on a ribcage like they're monkey bars or something. She was just trying to really get comfortable, and you probably have had those experiences. 
this is something that we have to understand, I think, maybe first as Christians. I asked at the beginning of the hour, are we afraid? Is this why we can't articulate this? In fact, I'll tell you this. I'm going to go to a break, and we'll we'll talk about this a little bit more, but there are probably people thinking we shouldn't talk about this because Californian Christians don't want to talk about it. I've heard that, that for whatever reason, we we can't handle this subject, that for some reason we just can't do it. We're afraid. We don't know enough about it. We're in the minority, in a huge minority, um, thinking of this. Is that really the reason? And and if so, at this point, so what? What do we do? What would you like to see the church do more of with respect to anything related to the subject of abortion? What would be effective? What would be persuasive? What would be something that we can do? Hey, we're going to take a break here in just a minute. You know, something I've been thinking about is, you know, this is going to, your pastor this Sunday has to do a sermon or acknowledge Mother's Day. And Mother's Day when is always a hard day anyway to preach on because there's a lot of moms who are going through hard times. In my family, it's going to be hard this year because my wife's mom passed away uh, just a couple of months ago. It's going to be a really hard Mother's Day for us, and I know it's hard for a lot of you, and I know it's hard for a lot in the congregation. It's super hard because there are people in our congregation and yours who have had abortions. There are people who have not really good relationships with their kids or bad relationships with their mom. There's so many heavy issues there. And this year, I think because of this decision and it's in the face of everybody, you know, your pastor is going to have to navigate how to deal with that. And your pastor is going to deal and often deals with uh, so many difficulties with all of this stuff. Something that is happening that I want to invite you to and make sure that you're a part of. Uh, The Pastor's Appreciation Breakfast is coming up. It's coming up in Los Angeles. on the 12th of May, and I want you to invite your pastor. What you can do is go to kkla.com, or if you're in San Diego, go to kprz.com, because there's a San Diego version that will be on Wednesday the 11th. So San Diego on Wednesday the 11th, uh, Thursday, May 12th, for L.A. and Orange County and surrounding counties. And uh, this is the Pastor's Appreciation Breakfast, and it's a great thing for pastors. I've been to this. I come away refreshed. I get to meet with other pastors uh, Pastor Alan Jackson will be given the word. There's other things happening there, and it's really, really good. Go to kkla.com or kprz.com if you're in San Diego. If you're in the L.A. counties, if you're listening on KKLA, go to kkla.com. Click on the link. It's right there on the front page. Send that to your pastor or send that to a pastor friend. Put it on your Facebook right now and just say, hey, pastors. And if you're in L.A., L.A. is also for first responders. If you're a pastor or first responder, we know this is a hard time for you. We want to say thank you. We want to give you some refreshment. We want to give you a free breakfast, and we want you to go to that. It's Thursday, May 12th in L.A., Wednesday, May 11th in San Diego. You're listening to Southern California Live. We'll take your calls. The number is 888-528-2557. If you want to join the conversation, 888-528-2557. We'll be back in just a moment. Don't go away. of the fundamental freedom that women have to make choices about our own bodies and our own futures and our own economic security. And the thing is, Victor, that these justices are acting like this is somehow something that they have the right to change. They do not have the right to change this, which has been settled law for two generations now of people who have grown up, who have gone through their 20s in the firm belief that they can make these decisions about their own body. That is a representative 
uh, Pramila Jayapal, I think is how you say her name, a Democrat from Washington, and she thinks that the Supreme Court doesn't even have the right to do this at all. This is not some uh, person who's just on the street, you know, one of those one-on-the-street interviews. This is somebody who is in Congress who thinks that the Supreme Court doesn't have the right to uh, do this. They have the full right to do this. They're the Supreme Court. Of course they have the right to do this. I mean, isn't that kind of interesting? It's like you don't have the right to do this because we've ha- we've done this for a long time. You know, and ultimately what they said is that this is a decision for the states, and uh, they do have the right to do this. They're saying if this is actually the decision that ultimately is made, they're saying, you know what, states get to do this. I just thought that was a uh, an interesting uh, approach to say they don't even have the right to do this. And that's the scary thing, isn't it? It's a scary thing in our, our country today, and there's other examples of the idea that we don't want to settle things in the way we're designed, that we don't want to settle things in uh, the court, or we don't want to settle things in the Congress. A lot of people are saying, well, you know, why don't our representatives uh, uh, speak up? That's one of the issues is how come this hasn't been done in uh, the Congress? Why don't they just vote on a law or not have a law? Why don't they take a vote? Why do they just leave it to the courts? You know why? It's because they don't want to be on the record. That's why. And now what's going to have to happen, assuming this is true, your congressperson is going to have to go on the record and actually vote. That's something that also has got to change, is we've got to put people on the record. When the Congress has decided to allow presidents, Republicans and Democrats, to lead by executive order, what they're doing is they're saying, I don't want to have to say one way or the other to my constituents what I, what I think. And so if what the president does is positive, I want to say, well, I supported that. He's on my side. Or if it's not, you know, if it doesn't have a good result, they want to be able to say, oh, I never supported that. And you know, if you don't vote on it, then I guess you get to say whatever you want. We have a crisis of character in our country that is so significant. And that is a big piece of it. And here we have somebody who is in the Congress who doesn't think that the Supremes actually have this jurisdiction. They do. One of the things that is uh, dangerous, although it's probably being blown out of proportion a little bit, but dangerous that somebody leaked this report is that it can create all kinds of internal problems within the court, that maybe they don't trust each other with their drafts. This this Alito thing is just a draft. It may not even be the actual decision. They might come out in June and say, actually, we upheld Roe versus Wade. Uh, that's possible. Uh, and that early on in the discussions, they thought maybe they were going to overturn it. But since February, what's that, three months old, that that draft we saw. Uh, and who leaked it? You got any ideas of who leaked it? I've enjoyed everybody's theories on that, but we have no idea. I think they're going to find who leaked it. There's not that many people who would have access to it. But we live in a strange world, don't we? Maybe somebody just uh, left a copy of it on the copy machine and somebody picked it up, some random person. Maybe they threw it in the trash, and some guy going through the trash said, what's this? Oh, I actually have a draft of the Supreme Court thing and gave it to political, Politico. And you, if you think that's crazy, somebody went into a pawn shop and found Hunter Biden's laptop, and that story turned out to be true. That was pretty easy to believe that story was made up, right? At first, people said, oh, that's made up. It's just wrote. How can it be true? How can the presidential candidate's son Put a lap, sell a laptop or have his laptop stolen, I guess, and it gets pawned off and somebody finds it and there's all these files on there. What are the odds of that happening? Well, a year ago, people said that didn't happen and you were you know, just making things up if you said it happened. But today we know it did happen and it's a pretty big deal. That's crazy that that happened. It's an amazing thing about 
the history of how things play out. Something as a believer that you should know is that the truth is going to get out, that reality is persistent, even if it is in the weirdest, weirdest way. I got to know a few years ago G. Gordon Liddy. Do you know who G. Gordon Liddy is? G. Gordon Liddy was the head of uh, Nixon's creep group, Committee to Reelect the President, or he was one of them, but he was the, the planner and architect of the Watergate break-in the Watergate Hotel, and what they did was they broke into the Democratic headquarters that was at that hotel, and they bugged the phone, and they kind of ransacked it to make it look like it's a robbery. Maybe you've seen Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump's the one who called him in. Not really, but the uh, – because Forrest Gump is a fictional character, just so that you know that I'm aware of that. G. Gordon Liddy is not a fictional character. He uh, passed away not too long ago, actually. And uh, the reason I got to know him is when I was in college, we invited him to our campus to talk about uh, – he was part of a debate team with uh, a guy straight out of the uh, 60s drug movement, Timothy Leary. Do you know who that guy is, Timothy Leary? Not the former Dodgers pitcher. He was the drug guru from the 60s, and uh, they would debate about whether or not drugs ought to be legalized. And it was hardly a debate because actually if you met Timothy Leary, he was the best argument for not – legalizing drugs. He hardly knew where he was. But uh, G. Gordon Liddy, uh, when you got to know him, he would tell stories openly about Watergate. He would say, you know what? I'm a felon. I went to prison. I did my time. I'm out. I'm going to tell the story. He's got a good story. And he talks about breaking into the place. And the only reason they actually got caught is because he said that they failed to duct tape the door shut correctly, that they had investigated what happens in a room that is being uh, renovated or a room where there's some construction going on, and the hotel had a way of duct taping it where they would uh, duct tape the door. I can't remember which direction now. It was either you take duct tape and you put it across the door vertically or you put it horizontally, and whichever way was correct, they did it backwards. They did it the wrong way, and so a security guard noticed that the duct tape was on the door wrong against whatever policy and then went in there and discovered the break-in, and they got discovered a lot sooner. And what's interesting about that whole thing is that they got caught. And it ended up bringing down President Nixon. Um, and the break-in itself wasn't, you know, it was stupid is what it was. You know, Nixon in that election, he won every state but one. Real landslide. He was paranoid about not winning re-election, and he was so incredibly popular. He won every state but Massachusetts, all of it. Um, and then he went down in flames because he covered it up because of uh, he got caught. He learned about it. I don't know that he ordered it. We don't really know all the truth about that, but we know that he knew about it, and then he covered it up because he was afraid it was going to cause him problems. He should have just come out and said, yes, I knew about it, and I fired Liddy, and I fire the rest of them. Now let's move on. If he would have done that, he would have been president, finished out his term. You know, Who knows what would have happened, uh, but he didn't. My friends, the truth is going to come out, and the truth is not something that you should hide, and therefore you should live in it. Don't live in a lie. Live in the truth. Live in the truth of your life. When scriptures tell us that the truth will set you free, it does. Are you somebody who struggles with making up stories, telling lies? Uh, It's so relieving to just tell the truth. You don't have to remember who you lied to or what the story was. You just keep telling the same story because that's what happened. It's a great way to live. You're listening to Southern California Live, 888-528-2557 is the number. 888-528-2557. I'm curious to your thoughts about the uh, issue of abortion and what's going on in Washington. Maybe you have some thoughts about the leak. Does that concern you about the uh, 
institution of the Supreme Court? Does it rattle you that this happened? We don't really know why yet. We don't know who did it. I think we're going to figure it out. I think that they're going to discover, if they don't already have a suspect, uh, they're going to know who it was. And, yep, that person's going to get fired, and they're going to lose their legal career, um, and they will have a multimillion-dollar contract with cable news right after that. Uh, that might be their thinking. I don't even know if it's illegal. I think it's questionable as to whether any significant laws were broken in uh, doing this, and it it breached the Supreme Court quite a bit. 888-528-2557. That's the number, 888-528-2557. Another issue that comes up with this is the idea of privacy, and that is how abortion and even gay marriage and some other Subjects get couched in Supreme Court decisions in a right to privacy. President Biden responded this way to that. Play clip number three. Well, you know, if, if this decision holds, it's really quite a radical decision. Um, and again, the underlying premise, and again, I've not had a chance to thoroughly go into the report, the decision. But it basically says all the decisions relating to your private life who you marry, whether or not you decide to conceive a child or not, whether or not you can have an abortion, a range of other decisions, whether or not how you raise your child. What does this do? Uh, and does this mean that in Florida they can decide they're going to pass a law saying that same-sex marriage is not permissible? And so uh, this is what the argument's going to be. Now, there's going to be all kinds of politics leveraging all kinds of things because it is an election year, and for the Democrats – um, they're probably going to have a hard time in this election coming up to defend the economy or uh, lots of other things going on. Now they can rally people around this subject and around fear. So what some are saying is that this decision, if it sends things back to the states, then it also opens up states to uh, undoing the gay marriage laws, uh, which actually is possible. I don't think there's any movement to do that. Last I saw in the polling data, most people, even Republicans, have decided that uh, gay marriage is okay. And that's what's out there. So there's probably not any any idea that that's happening anytime soon. Um, and then other privacy matters. Do you feel like um, this is a privacy matter? How does this work with you? I mean, do you have any thoughts about that? 888-528-2557. I'm wondering where we are in this subject. And I've got, you know, a theory, a running theory with a lot of people is that we and we are, as believers even, feel like we can't handle these conversations, particularly in California. Is that true? And is it because we just don't understand all the different issues, or is it because we just don't want to talk about it? Is it because we're afraid? And I guess that's what I'm wondering is, is that what we're going to see here as, as a church? Maybe we just don't know how to respond. Maybe we struggle to respond to this issue because we've seen a lot of bad response. Maybe it's because we know that if we're going to really get into this issue of abortion and privacy and those kinds of things, there's a lot of work to be done. Is it a legitimate argument to say if you are pro-life, then you better be uh, pro-life across the board? I don't think it's, you know, the same argument philosophically or logically when you're talking about the death penalty or you're talking about uh, immigrants or other things, but it's related and what do you think is the value of life? You have to have some kind of opinion. I don't really like the terms pro-life or pro-choice. I think they are, it distracts from the issue. 
uh, I like anti-abortion or pro-abortion, then you're focused on that one subject. I'm pro-death penalty or anti-death penalty. Then you can focus on that one subject. You see what I mean? It's that when you when you have pro-life or pro-choice, both of those are very politically charged. And you end up having, you want to have a discussion, say, about abortion, but instead you end up having a discussion about uh, immigration and the death penalty and not about abortion. Or you want to have a discussion about uh, abortion, but you end up talking about uh, uh, health care for women and mammograms and a lot of other things that um, aren't really the same thing. You know, things couched into reproductive health. And so suddenly we're talking about other women's health issues, but not this particular uh, procedure. See what I mean? That's that's the the trouble is with a lot of the terms that we use for things is that they they can launch us into other directions. I think that's a lot of the problem, frankly. I think that we couch things in terms that are politically charged and then we don't know how to talk about it because they're too big. Because they distract from the issue. You know, well, I'm I'm pro-life. Oh, yeah. Then why do you uh, curse the immigrant? It's a reasonable question, but it it changes the subject. It allows that subject to be changed. You know, I'm pro-choice and I'm pro-reproductive rights, and uh, I don't want you to take away uh, access to birth control and uh, mammograms. Well, where did that come from? Is is there any movement actually out there to take away birth control? That's been one of the weirdest things is that some people think, and it's been said today, that uh, the next thing to go is going to be birth control. Uh, I know people, uh, some of you might have a religious reason why you don't think birth control is okay. But other than that, I don't know of any movement anywhere who's trying to make it illegal. Uh, do you? Do you know this? Why is that being threatened? See, I think that this creates fear. It creates fear in in all of us uh, this way. You're listening to Southern California Live the number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. Is it time for a break, Wilbert? All right, I overshot the break doing that here. 888-528-2557, a few more moments for you to call in and share your thoughts, 888-528-2557. I have to take a break. This is the Tuesday edition of Southern California Live. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. SoCal Live, Scott Furrow with you today, Tuesday afternoon, May 3rd. We're on every day from 3 to 5 on KKLA and in Southern California, San Diego, KPRZ. Good to be with you today. And uh, we are taking your calls and talking about the uh, issue today in Washington, the uh, abortion decision or potential decision by the court and the leak of it. And getting your thoughts on those matters, 888-528-2557. We have a couple minutes for a couple of calls. Sandra from Ventura, welcome to Southern California Live. Yes, hi. Thank you for taking my call. I totally agree with what you were saying, that with the terminology that is being used and that we use to make things sound nicey-nicey and saying abortion instead of murder. And it's murder. That's what we need to call it. It's murder. I've had some friends that had abortions, and they totally regret uh, having an abortion. And, you know, we need to put the right terminology. You know, I try to go by what the Bible says. And the Bible says if you add to or take away any words out of the Bible, that you will be cursed. And that's in the last page of Revelation. And so if they take away 
uh, different things of our Constitution and uh, try to make things nice or people can uh, murder their child. Uh, the United States is going to be cursed by God. And so I totally agree with you <clears throat> that we need to put the correct terminology out. All right, Sandra, thank you for your call. You know, I, I want to be clear that the, the Constitution uh, is not the Word of God. I don't know that that's what you were saying there, really, but um, and that passage at the beginning, end of Revelation, some people think that's just about Revelation, okay, but there is the idea that we want to keep God's Word. Um, what, I, what I think she's referring to is I was talking about how pro-life and pro-choice are very politically charged terms, and they mean a lot more than just abortion, that you might do better in this conversation to say anti-abortion or, an, or pro-abortion, and, uh, you know, is it the taking of a human life? Uh, yeah, that's what I would say. I'm not sure that relationally calling it murder is helpful in the conversation. And um, murder also is a legal term. And right now in the United States, it's not. Um, and if, um, you know, scripturally, if that's how God works at it, looks at it, uh, and he might, we still have to take the conversation to to grace, you know, are you simply condemned because you've had an abortion? The Bible says that all of us fall short. And we got to be really careful if we are, in a way, condemning our neighbor because they've had an abortion when we are, before Christ, equally condemned for whatever our sins are. That is something, I think, for, you know, a posture for the church that we we really need to have in a culture that uh, doesn't believe in God or doesn't believe in Jesus or doesn't think the Bible's true. They're not going to hear it from us. But we have to act as though we understand that the Bible is true, and we have to realize that we aren't better than anybody else. We come to faith and we get salvation the same way as any pagan, the same way as any person from any culture, is that we believe that Jesus died for us and rose again from the grave. That's the offer. So I think, you know, when we're having this whole conversation, it's hard. The conversation is very different if you've had an abortion. It's very different if somebody you love has had one, or maybe you're a father of, of uh, somebody and your child was aborted. This is a, it's a very hard conversation. And there's a discipline I think we have to make sure that we are truthful, but um, also that we understand that we are, we're promoting grace, not, not the idea that you can just sin without, without, um, consequence. I mean, that's a big part of what all of this is about is we're trying to, as a culture, we don't like the consequences of behavior that doesn't work, you know? So, uh, let's not, uh, go out and exercise to lose weight and get in shape. Let's hopefully we'll develop a pill and we can do that. Um, let's not, uh, count the consequence of sexual activity, which often is pregnancy. Let's decide that some kind of inconvenience and it shouldn't happen so we can just terminate it. And let's decide that the baby is not a baby, um, and then call it um, reproductive justice, uh, which you can't do. You can only do that if you decide the baby's not a baby. If you decide the baby's not a human, well, then you have reproductive rights. But if the baby's a human, then you have to ask the question, does that human have rights before God, uh, before our Constitution? Uh, that's the number. I'm going to take one more call. Kevin uh, Torrance, I don't know if I have your name right. Welcome to Southern California Live. Hello? Hello. Hi, is it Kevin? Hello. Yes. Okay, hi, Kevin. Hi, I was just wondering, like, why usually people are anti-abortion. Okay. And, are, yeah. Are you pro-abortion? Uh, yeah. Are you, yeah, okay, so you're wondering why people might have another opinion. I think that's a great, a great question. Thank you, for, thank you for asking that. 
And I think to be honest with you, people who are anti-abortion need to be asking why is somebody else pro-abortion, right? I think that we need to have the, we need to understand where people are, are standing on these issues. I'm not running out of time. I'm going to give you a short one. If you believe that all life matters, that all life, all human life has equal value, then, and you believe that life begins at conception, then you have to logically believe that the unborn child has rights, that the Constitution applies to this unborn child who we know is a child, who we know has different DNA than mother and father, that is a separate individual. And, you know, constitutionally, we would say that that every person is guaranteed uh, the right to life, uh, the fabric of our nation. Uh, religiously, spiritually, we believe that God knits you together in the womb, that you're made in the image of God, that you are a separate person, and uh, you have that right. And uh, there's a whole lot more to it, but I would, Kevin, I would have you just investigate whether or not uh, you think that, that an unborn child is a person, and therefore does that person have a right to live and uh, that's where a lot of people are coming from. And I know that uh, we're out of time. And if you could answer that question, you might have uh, some things to say about being pro-abortion. And there's some nuance and different things to that that uh, we're not going to have time for today. You know, one of the things I'll leave you with this is that you've got to be able to have the conversation. I know this is a hard subject. And it's something that's hard to talk about. And for a lot of us, we get out of the out of the habit. We don't even know what some of the current issues are. We don't know what the laws actually say. You know, a lot of people think, oh, overturn Roe versus Wade, abortion is illegal. Not at all true. Um, and uh, it will be the same or more available in California, uh, most likely. Uh, so there's – and there are legal reasons for the decisions that the Supreme Court is making. It might surprise you that uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who recently passed away, she was definitely pro-abortion and in favor of a woman's right to have an abortion would be her opinion. But did you know that she was not a fan of the Roe versus Wade law? She thought it was it was decided incorrectly. She thought it should have been a lot more narrow, having only to do with the Texas law that was at hand. She actually didn't like that decision. See, there are there's a lot of nuance to what some people might think with all of this. Uh, anyway, you know what, friends, we're done for today. I want to leave you with this. Um, God is still on the throne no matter what. And that throne, the book of Hebrews says, is a throne of grace. And we approach it by faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. We don't see a lot of what God is doing. We can't put our, you know, we can't say it, but we have confidence that the hope we have in Christ cannot be taken away. And that's how we should move forward. We're done for today. This is the Tuesday edition of Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow. It's great to be with you today. Thank you for being here. I'll see you tomorrow again from three to five right here on Southern California Live. God bless. See you tomorrow. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.